Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host and the content director here at Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Bishop Barron is not with us this week. He's actually getting ready to travel overseas to record the final two episodes of his Pivotal Players film series. But we didn't want to leave you hanging, so this week we decided to share with you a sample, a segment from one of his older study programs he put together titled Seven Deadly Sins, Seven Lively Virtues. It's a Dante-esque look through some of the most common and deadly vices that we face, along with the corresponding virtues that counteract them. In this sample, we're going to be looking at the sin of pride and then the corresponding virtue of humility. If you want to listen to the full study program with all seven deadly sins and seven lively virtues, I encourage you to sign up for the Word on Fire Institute because when you do, you get free access to our Word on Fire digital platform, and that platform has all of Bishop Barron's films and study programs 100% complete. You get the entire library of Bishop Barron content. So visit wordonfire.institute, join the Word on Fire Institute, and then get access to all of the films and study programs, including this one, Seven Deadly Sins and Seven Lively Virtues. So sit back and enjoy this segment. Let's look at deadly sin number one, pride. We're at the very base, the very bottom of Dante's holy mountain. And mind you, it is a holy mountain. Purgatory is a holy process of purging from sin. At the base of the mountain, we're at the heaviest place, where it's hardest to move. Because pride is the deadliest of the deadly sins. In fact, in many ways, pride is simply another name for sin. Sin is just various consequences of and permutations of pride. What is pride? It's got, I think, a theological dimension and a psychological dimension. And I'll say something about each one of those. Theologically, pride means turning yourself into God. Pride is turning oneself into God. Assuming to oneself the centrality and prerogatives of God. We say, for example... Pride is the great sin of Lucifer. Who was Lucifer? One of God's highest creatures, a great seraph. But even that great seraph became at some level afraid. Even that great seraph doubted that God's love was surging through him, that he was grounded in the generous love of God. And so that great seraph said, non serviam. He spoke Latin, by the way. He said, I shall not serve I shall not serve. I will become the criterion of good and evil, not God. I, my ego, will become the center of the world, not God. You know what the war of the angels is, by the way? Angels uh, don't fight with swords and guns. They don't have bodies. They fight with their minds. Who rose up to fight Lucifer? But Michael, Michael's name in Hebrew, Michael, means who is like God? That was the war of the angels. (laughs) Non serviam, I'm God. Who is like God? That's a very good challenge now for all of us because we're all tempted by that same sin. I will make myself into God. Then we should hear St. Michael mocking that pretension. Who is like God? 
Adam and Eve sin through pride. They seize the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see what that means? The knowledge of good and evil. The capacity to determine what is good and what is evil. Who has that by nature? Only God. God is the ground and source of what's good. God tells us what to seek, what to avoid. To seize it for oneself, listen now, is to make one's freedom the criterion of good and evil. I will do what I want. I will set the agenda. It's my project. It's my plan. My life. Sound familiar? Fellow sinners. Here's G.K. Chesterton. We're all in the same boat and we're all seasick. It's true, isn't it? I mean, we're all caught in this web. We're all prideful. We've all done this, seizing at the knowledge of good and evil. Do I see a real contemporary example of this in American political life? Listen to this line from the Casey decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, 1992. It was an abortion-related case, but the way that justice resolved it is breathtaking. Listen. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Huh. Wow. Lucifer? (laughs) Sounds familiar. Listen again. At the heart of liberty, my liberty, my freedom. I'm an American. I'm a freedom-loving person. The heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence. Who am I? I'll tell you. What's my life about? It's up to me. Of meaning. What does my life mean? I'll tell you. It's up to my freedom. Of the universe. Huh, wow, this is really getting expansive. Now I can define the whole universe around my freedom and the mystery of human life. Boy, is that all? (laughs) This is freedom run amok. And the theological name for this is pride. Pride. Now, what's the trouble with pride? It makes us boring. (laughs) I'm serious. That's the problem with pride. (laughs) And we all know this because we all are victims of pride. Pride makes you boring. Why? We are meant to allow God's own life God's own love to surge through us for the transformation of the world. That's our mission. To revel in the fact that we've been loved into being and now we can relax at the core of our existence in such a way that we can let that divine life surge through us for the benefit of the world. That's called the high adventure of the spiritual life. That's what the Bible's all about. That's what the church is all about. The high adventure of the spiritual life. When God seizes you, who wants nothing other than your flourishing. Now we're talking fun. That's a fun, interesting, exciting, adventurous life. Now, in pride, me, mine, I, my projects, my little adventures, my little plans, ho-hum. You know what I'm saying? That's about as boring as it gets. That's why in Dante's Inferno, at the bottom of hell, you don't find fire, you find ice, and Satan is buried up to his waist in the ice, and he can't move. And there he sits, weeping in his sadness. That's what pride looks like. We say, oh, pride, proud people, oh, they're the top of the world. They are not at the top of the world. They might look that way, 
But the center of their existence, they're sad and they're bored. That's what the Bible's telling us here. We're meant for adventure, not for this self-absorbed boredom. You know, coaches know this, working with little kids. You set a bunch of kids out in the baseball field, and you say, here are the bats, here are the balls, here are the bases. Now, kids, just go play any way you want. Now, what's going to happen? Any coach or teacher in the room knows it. Probably bickering right away, and then boredom. Probably just end up sitting around, or they'll just break up, and off they go in their own direction. What makes baseball fun and exciting? When there's a coach there who can lure these kids into the wonder of baseball and teach them how to play, when he becomes the criterion of good and evil, no, that's bad baseball, that's, don't play that way. Here's how you hit, here's how you feel, here's how you catch, here's how you strategize, here's how you win. And now those kids, who are kind of a desultory band of bickering, uh, bored kids, become a team about this great adventure. <laughs> Non serviam is the most boring thing you can say. You know what's exciting? Serviam. I will serve. I will serve. Not just some baseball coach. I'm going to serve the Lord God who wants me to be alive. I will turn my life over to the Lord God. I won't be the one that determines the meaning of my existence. How dull. I want God to determine the meaning of my existence. I want God to give me a mission. Not my puny ego with all of its little boring preoccupations. That's the trouble with pride. I mentioned now there's a psychological side to pride, and there is. Psychologically, it means self-regard. Self-regard. The instinct to look at oneself. Compare now two experiences. The first experience, you're with a friend, and you're caught up in a fascinating conversation. You're following the conversation wherever it goes. The ideas are kind of crackling and sparkling, and you're following where it leads. You're not aware of yourself. You're just caught up in the rhythm and flow and energy of the conversation. You know that kind of experience? That's fun, isn't it? The Irish call that, that's good crack, they say. That's a lot of fun when you're in that kind of conversation. Now, compare it to this experience. You are watching yourself have the conversation. Oh, God, am I... Do I look smart enough? What, is, what does she think of me? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, gosh, that sounds stupid. Uh, am I impressing this person enough? You're outside yourself watching you have the conversation. Terrible, isn't it? Some of the worst moments in life when we are most self-aware. In the first experience, you are immersed in being. You're immersed in reality. In the second one, you have locked yourself in the narrow little cubby hole of your own ego. Pride is always about a negation of reality. It means we're living in a less real way. And how tedious, how, how troubling, and how boring it is to be gazing at oneself that way. Okay, what's the antidote? What's the lively virtue? Humility. Now I know, see with all these things, we get tripped up by the words. You say humility. What do people automatically think? Oh, I've got nothing to offer. Oh, little old me, I've got nothing. I'm humble, humble. That's not humility. That's often just false humility, which is disguised pride, right? Oh, look at me, how humble I am. Oh, no. Humilitas, the Latin word, is related to the Latin word humus, which means the earth, the earth. 
You know what it means? Reality. That's why Aquinas says, humilitas veritas. Humility is truth. Humility is knowing the truth of things and knowing the truth about yourself. That's what it means to be humble. What's the deepest truth? That God is nothing but love. God wants to come surging through me. God wants to give me an adventurous mission. That's the truth. Therefore, the humble stance is, serviam, I shall serve. Not because, oh, little me, I got nothing to offer. No, just the contrary. You know who you are, rooted in the divine life. Did Mother Teresa strike you as a shrinking violet? (laughs) Mother Teresa, people that knew her? Boy, someone who knew what she was about. Someone with loads of energy and a sense of mission. This is not some falsely humble, shrinking violet. John Paul II strike you that way? Really holy people, but they have a very strong sense of who they are because they're rooted in the humus in the earth. Look at that second example, that's self-regarding. When you're looking at yourself, you're not lost in reality. You're caught up in this little, little cocoon of your own self-regard. But when you, you've forgotten about your ego, you're lost in being now. Boy, now it's fun. Now, now you're like a seed that's just cracked open in the earth and is growing in all sorts of directions. That's humility, humus, the earth. That's where God wants us, rooted. I've used this image before of the magna anima and the pusilla anima. That means the big soul and the little soul. The magna anima, that's a saint, great soul. Because your life is now connected to the very source of existence. You're a great soul. You have a mission that has universal implications. The proud person is living in the little fusila anima, the little soul, all caved in around himself, around herself. God wants us out of that. You know how Dante punishes the proud? They have to carry big boulders around and they lumber around the bottom of Mount Purgatory with the boulders. Two reasons for that. One is the boulder symbolizes the monkey of the ego that's on the proud person's back all the time. How do you live your life? How am I doing? How's it going? What do they think of me? I got this monkey on my back all the time. When you're humble, get rid of that monkey. You can live lightly now, freely, not self-preoccupied. But you know what else? Something positive about it. The great boulder forces them down to the earth, doesn't it? To the humus. It brings them down to reality. And that's the lovely burden that God wants to place on us proud people to immerse us in reality. Practical advice. What do we do if we're proud? And we're all proud, all of us sinners. We're all proud. What should we do? Purposely take the lower place. Look, in the desperate zero-sum game of the sinful world, if someone else gets honored, I don't get honored. Someone else gets the glory, I don't get the glory. Someone else has the attention, I don't get it. Don't play that game. Purposely cede the place to somebody else. There's a position you think you deserve, you merit. Recommend someone else for it. Bend the stick backward. Aristotle said that. If the stick is bent this way to straighten it out, you want to bend it back the other way. So in your pride, you're self-preoccupied, purposely bend it back the other way. Cede to someone else. Let someone else have the higher position. Secondly, learn to love simple things. 
Do you ever watch a kid, a little tiny kid, and there's a bug crawling across the, you know, floor? What do we do? Kill it. <laughs> What's a kid liable to do? Does he get down, on the, down close to it and look at it? and watch it, because they are, they're fascinating, aren't they? I mean, don't talk to me, I, my room, I'm full of, full of, of slaughtered bugs, you know, but, <laughs> but the little kid will do this, we'll just watch, and it is, it's a fascinating little animal. Well, see what he's doing there, that's the humble stance. That's humility, humilitas, humus. He's close to the reality. There's more joy, authentic joy and reality in that moment than in most of the games that we play. Learn to love simple things. Let me close now, pride, with this. Uh, on all the levels of the Divine Comedy, there's a Marian counterexample. So Dante sees Mary as the embodiment of all the uh, lively virtues. Here it is. Mary says, Be it done to me according to your word. At the Annunciation, you're to be the, you're to be the mother of God. Be it done to me according to your word. Not my word. I, in my freedom, determine the meaning of my life and the mystery of all existence. Ho-hum. Mary, who says, let it be done to me according to your word, Lord God, who is surging through me and has an adventure that I can't begin to imagine. That's the word of a young woman who's ready for an adventure. That's the word of a humble person. We hope you enjoyed this segment from Bishop Aaron's study program on the seven deadly sins and seven lively virtues. If you'd like to listen to the full program again, I encourage you to join the Word on Fire Institute. Besides joining over 5,000 excited, dynamic Catholic evangelists, you'll also get access to our entire library of Bishop Aaron films and study programs, including the Catholicism series, the Full Pivotal Player series, and all of the study programs like this one, Seven deadly sins and seven lively virtues so just visit wordonfire.institute and join today thanks so much and we'll see you next week on the word on fire show